Welcome to Energy Matters, where we explore alternative health in the Pioneer Valley. I'm your host, Caroline Rutterman, and I'm a Reiki professional and intuitive in Northampton, Massachusetts. For the past nine years, I've been teaching people how to use their intuition and helping them reduce stress and anxiety. Together, we'll talk with other practitioners and learn how they bring health and healing to the Pioneer Valley. Let's do this. Hey everyone, welcome, welcome. You are listening to Energy Matters and I am your host, Caroline Rutterman. We have a great show for you today. We are here with Artemis Luna Muse, who is a biodynamic craniosacral therapist. So welcome, Artemis. Hi, it's so great to be here. Yes, I'm so glad that you're here. So um, tell us a little bit about who you are, Artemis, and, and what you do. Yeah, so... Um I have an invisible disability. I uh, identify beyond the gender binary. Um, and so my pronouns are Zizir or they, them. I have been doing therapeutic massage for nine years now. And, um, but I specialize in biodynamic craniosacral therapy and that's the majority of my practice. And that's a sort of a very gentle touch hands-on therapy, which really focuses on the fluid dynamics in the body. Um, some people come to me for spiritual guidance, and that looks different for each person. And sometimes it's long distance, and sometimes we work face-to-face. Uh, -face. And I also teach workshops uh, about creating sacred containers and reclaiming our sacred autonomy. Um, and sometimes I work with other practitioners uh, who want mentoring in how to bring energetic skills into their practice and, and do that with more discernment and precision. That sounds great. So what is, what is a sacred container? What does that mean to you? Um, so I, a lot of my work happens in sacred containers, whether it, uh, I talk about it or not. Um, for me, I would sort of define that as a boundary uh, of, of safe space, right? So people are coming to see me and we create a boundary and together we decide what energies are in that space and what energies are not in that space and we set intention. And it really just clarifies uh, what's coming up for people without outside influences. Um, so sacred containers can be great for uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations, or coming into a practitioner's office, or uh, working long distance with someone, or if you're holding rituals, and uh, yeah. And when you talk about you know creating this um, discussion around what energies are welcome in the space and what energies are not welcome in the space, can you give an example of of one of each? What would be welcome, and what um, energies would not be yeah. welcome? So I, I think discernment is really important when we start talking about uh, energetic influences. Um, I mean, ancestors can be a really obvious one uh, where we have some ancestors who really want us to do their work for them. Um, and that can become really toxic, toxic or if someone has uh, an energetic or emotional tie to someone who was really toxic and uh, saying, you know what, actually that there's not space for that 
here where we don't want to focus on that energy. We want to focus on the person who's, you know, I want to focus on the person who's in front of me and I want to focus on the healing forces that, that they're carrying and how can we allow those healing forces to express themselves and their autonomy, their sovereignty to express themselves uh, in, in an authentic way. So uh, some people have have allies in the spirit realm that they want to work with and um, sometimes they have ancestors they want to work with sometimes people need to do healing with ancestors uh, if they've had a loss that they can't uh, that they haven't there's not completion in that and so we might invite uh, that ancestor's energy into the container so it's sort of like how can we start with more of a blank canvas rather than one that's already been used so that we can have a lot more clarity about what we're working with and, and discern whether something feels like it's in alignment and syn like synchronicity with what we're, what our intention is or whether mm, it needs to be shifted or healed or whether it needs to just leave. That makes sense. And and when you're kind of creating these containers about, you know, ancestral ancestors that are coming in or not coming in and creating this real like nice blank canvas, how how do people respond with those with the, within these spaces? Like what, um, what are the benefits of them? I think sometimes it's it's a relief for some people. Uh, it really depends. Some people feel so compressed by by forces. Um, they've lost their sense of of their own personal boundary, and so when we can just create a silent space, a quieter space for them. It's, it can be such a relief. And so we can do a lot of healing work uh, within that. And so can you tell us a little bit about what um, biodyna biodynamic craniosacral is and how that is a little bit different than somebody who might have um, experienced or have tried out uh, a different type of craniosacral therapy? Can you tell us a little bit about what, what makes that special? Yeah, so biodynamic craniosacral therapy uh, branches off as, of osteopathy. Um, which is really the study of bones and their alignment and how that brings health to the body. So from that, other things have branched off. Um, there was a doctor of osteopathy, uh, Dio Sutherland, and he had this, this burst of inspiration where he was like, oh, I see the skull bones, they breathe. Um, and we see sort of this breath happening throughout the whole body. But for him, he was like the skull breeze. And so he, <laughs> he developed this whole practice uh, of, of working with the cranial bones to bring them into alignment uh, where he, you know, he put on a, a football helmet with bolts and like compressed different bones in his skull and it, uh, it caused him, you know, he'd like document all of the symptoms and then he would work on fixing that. And then he brought that into his osteopathic practice. Um, so his earlier work uh, is more biomechanical is what we call it. A lot of people have experienced the biomechanical branch of craniosacral therapy. Um, but his later work, he started to realize that, oh, there's a, there's a deeper intelligence in the body and if I listen and I stop trying to put force into the tissue here and I let the body express itself, then people are healing better. They're, the, the, the changes are lasting longer. 
So one of the, the main big differences that we're looking at is that for when we start looking at the body is that the, the central nervous system in biomechanical, we're saying, oh, the fluid moves through the ventricles, through the spine, because the, the, the nervous system, the, the tissue is, is bending, uh, is flexing and unflexing. Uh, and in the biodynamic work, we're saying, oh, there's actually an intelligence within the fluids and the fluids are what is bending and flexing and extending the nervous system. That's really, really cool. I, I really like that description. Have you have you ever uh, felt a skull breathe? Do you do you ex- do you like witness that when you're working on someone? Oh yeah, every time. I mean, it's it's such an astounding experience to feel in your hands, where you really we have to come into this deep stillness to feel it. But we're so used to, you know big, big experiences in, in our day-to-day life. And so we really have to change our perception uh, to come into a level of stillness where we can start feeling some of these more subtle movements. And like I said, you know, those subtle movements we experience in the organs, we experience in the legs. And so we can really work with these principles throughout the whole body. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Energy Matters, and we are here chatting with Artemis Luna Muse, uh, who is a, cran- a biodynamic craniosacral therapist, a massage therapist by trade, but um, and also does a spirit walking as well. Um, so, what was Artemis? What was your first introduction to the healing arts? Like, how how did this world lure you in? Yeah. So when I was really exposed to this for the first time, I was really on my deathbed. Um, I was 18 years old and, uh, I had developed an illness a few years previous, an autoimmune disorder that attacks the movement centers of my brain. And so at the time where this work found me, I, I had lost a significant amount of weight. I wasn't eating food anymore. I was having non-epileptic seizures every day. Um, I was having so much anxiety. I would wake up in the night and not know like what my reality was anymore. And uh, it was a really frightening time, mostly for my caretakers, because at that point I was so sick that I, I didn't really have a grasp on this reality anymore. And when I talk to uh, my caretakers now, they, you know, we talk about how a life had really left me and they just so happened to have a, a family friend that was uh, a craniosacral therapist and that craniosacral therapist showed my family a hold that was able to stop my seizures if we caught it soon enough. Whoa. Yeah. And uh, like right on the occiput and that saved my life. So for me, I'm, I'm doing this work because I fully believe in this. Like, I believe in this work. I wouldn't be alive without this work. And it's been a really long healing journey from that point. But I know that it it's possible to heal from, from places where we've lost hope. Thank you for sharing that. That sounds like a, a, it was, you know, a very pivotal moment for you. Mm-hmm. 
Can you describe what that what the um, the hold was at the occiput that you mentioned? Um, can you describe if, if people are listening, uh, if, if it's if it's safe for people to practice on them on themselves or for other people? If it's not, that's totally okay. Um, but if anyone's listening, I, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly also, you know, if someone contacted me, I would happily talk to them about this. Um, but it was really simple. Uh, I had someone else do it to me. I um, so they would um, come. I would. They would come from the side and just really just cradle the base of my skull. And the most important thing is to not have any intention around that, but to just be a presence there and to not do anything. Just be and be as calm uh, and present as possible. Awesome. Very, very cool. So do you, when you were, when you were first kind of, um, you know, on experiencing, you know, these kind of like alternate realities and you were on your deathbed, how did, um, do you remember experiencing these, these first craniosacral, um, sessions or were you like in just totally different places at that point? I think for the most part, I was in a totally different place. The things I remember are, I remember being taught that hold in that moment of, of, it's hard to even explain what that moment was, but like I, there was a potency in that moment where I, I knew that something could be different. And I, you know, we all were like, well, maybe this isn't going to end how we thought it was going to end. And I remember feeling so frustrated because I couldn't even really feel my legs anymore. And the practitioners were touching my feet and being like, can you, you know, can you feel this touch? And not even knowing what to do with that. Uh, I'd become so disassociated from, from the trauma and, and from the illness itself. And I remember, um, those holds being done on me and the relief of not having to go through another uh, seizure. Uh, but I don't, I don't remember a lot of those early sessions. So how, how did that healing journey, how, do, how does that inform the work that you offer now? Um, I mean, in so many, in so many ways, because in a way, this, this healing journey is it's been my entire life there's not a single day where i don't think about how i can be sustainable in my life and how i and and ask the question what's the next step for me to heal and come into a greater wholeness so this work has really allowed me to just uh my healing journey has allowed me to just work with so many incredible practitioners and I have learned so much from every person I've worked with over the past 11, 12 years. Um, it's brought me into this deep level of suffering. And I feel like our culture is so afraid of, of the possibility that we could become disabled or that we could die before we're ready. And so when someone is really sick, often the people around them start to actually pull back and it's, it can feel really horrible um, to be interacting with someone and know that they're, they're actually 
pulling back because they're afraid when they look at you that that could happen to them. And um, so I feel like because I've had this experience, when someone comes to me and they're really sick, I can really be present with them without being afraid. And instead of it, of pulling back, I can say, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, but we can walk together on this and we're just going to do our best with what we have and we're going to see where this takes us. That must be a, a deep relief for your clients to be able to, you know, feel seen and to have a companion and an ally um, in that in that space. I think just that just being able to be present with someone in suffering, I think that can be deeply healing. Sometimes healing isn't about fixing a symptom. Sometimes it's just, you know, about finding wholeness in a new way. It's about identifying differently in a new way. And that can be extremely difficult, but wholeness isn't always about being pain-free. That's right. Wholeness isn't always about being pain-free. That, that's like the, the day's meditation, right? So maybe the lifetime's meditation. I think it's a lifetime's meditation. It's, it's easy to say, <laughs> but not easy to do, right? Right, right. You know, just shifting gears a little bit, um, I'm curious about what, what aspect of your, uh, of your healing practice now professionally is really exciting for you. I know we're all on pandemic uh, lockdown and kind of adjusting things, but um, but I, I know that people that work in the healing arts are always learning. It's true. Yeah, I, uh, you know, honestly, I'm just grateful to be working again. I um, Having that time off really helps me realize just how much of my identity is really tied into my work and just how passionate I am. And I felt kind of lost without seeing clients um you know i care really deeply about my clients so you know in a way it was like where's my family <laughs> a little right. bit so um i'm just really happy to be working again and uh part-time i've doing, been doing a lot of things in my office to just make it as safe as possible i've been really careful in my day-to-day -day life to to be as careful as possible um i was looking forward to a lot of things some trainings that I was looking forward to. I was looking forward to uh, assisting in a craniosacral training, um, but a lot of that has has diminished. And I had plans to support people more online, but uh, had some significant losses during the quarantine, so that didn't happen. So, you know, right now I'm just um, trying to get things sort of back online, and it's kind of build my stamina back up for for seeing clients and. Um, just sort of getting into the groove again, and it just feels really great. Yeah. Do you do you have plans for uh, for kind of uh, phasing back into more full time work, or what is? Do you have it? What's your, what are your what are your future plans professionally? Um, yeah, definitely. Just heading towards more full time work. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have too much. I mean, really, the virus just like destroyed any future plans that I was having and sort of brought me back to the drawing board in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, mostly it's just seeing clients at this point, uh, trying to reorient to this new reality, which 
frankly feels like enough for me. <laughs> right. I know. I feel like we went as a culture to being very forward thinking to being like, I don't I don't really want to make plans right now. And I don't really feel comfortable making plans about the future. <laughs> it was kind of a, a collective pullback. Yeah. At the same time, though, I feel like, well, this has been a lot, there's been a lot of trauma during this time to have everything come to a still point has a lot of a lot of reorganization. Uh, and I don't think that that's all been bad. I think that it's in a way allowed to be people to access sort of a new possibility at the same time. So I don't want to diminish the, the level of trauma that that is happening collectively, but also, you know, things things changed for a lot of people. How, how do you understand collective trauma? Because I, I know as somebody who does uh, kind of energetic healing on, on a larger level as well as on a physical level, um, there, there's, a, there's different ways that we can kind of understand these, um, these energetic paradigms that happen. Um, how, so how, how do you understand a, um, a collective trauma? What does that mean to you? Um, I mean, I feel like collective trauma can happen on different scales. Uh, in different groups, it, uh, you know, so for me, collective trauma can be anytime it's not just trauma that happened to one individual. But even if it does happen to one individual, you know, something like sexual assault is such a collective societal problem that one person being assaulted can then ripple out um, to it affects the entire community. But at the same time, someone healing that trauma can also ripple out and and heal uh, a community. So to me, collective trauma is just recognizing an interconnectedness um, between people, between groups of people, between shared experiences and Sometimes we can work on that collective level and sometimes we need to work with the individual levels and that becomes a fulcrum for healing for larger communities. So I, I know that you also practice spirit walking. Um, can, you, can you tell us what, what that is? Yeah, spirit walking is really just a practice that evolved out of my own healing experience. Um, I really, during that time when I was really sick, <clears throat> started to have access to to more of the spirit realm and the dynamics there. And um, so, I mean, it, and it really evolved very organically. It started with just people being like, I have this thing. And then I was like, you know, I don't know why, but I think I can help you with this thing. Um, so I don't have any traditional training in in spirit realm healing work. So it felt really important for me not to um, to say that I use language where someone might assume that I was practicing a traditional form of spirit realm healing. Um, it looks very different for every person. So some people, we work long distance and um, I, it's so weird to me when someone calls me from like Florida for a session. <laughs> um, it's like, whoa, my world is, it's, my reach is a lot bigger than I thought. Um, works, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it looks really different. Sometimes it's in the office and it's hands-on and sometimes we we create a ritual together. Um, so, for me, a ritual is like, how do we 
take something that is within someone's inner landscape and create physical representation of it and then in a way move those things around to create healing for someone to move through a, a trauma or to help someone actually develop more spiritually um, to experience a spiritual growth. Can you describe what you, what your process is um, in in the spirit walking sessions? What is that um, What does that look like behind the scenes? Yeah, so usually I'm already working before I get on the phone with someone or they come in. Um, I've I've sat in stillness and um, sort of allowed whatever forces want to come and assist during that session to, to come with me. And I sort of have a general idea of, of how we need to work before someone comes in. But um, I always intentionally create a container, a sacred container around us. And so this can happen long distance and this can happen in the office as well. And, you know, just creating that sacred space for us. And then I always have someone start by um, telling me their intuition, sorry, their intention. And then to ha then have them share their story with me. Uh, how someone tells their story is really important to me. And so sometimes I might ask them to reframe some language and that can really change their perception of their entire uh, conflict that they're having. But as they're telling their story, I often am listening to the energy that's behind their story. And so when I feel something that doesn't feel like it's in the health, when it doesn't feel like it is in alignment with their, with their authenticity, uh, I stop them and I'm saying, okay, let's look at this a little bit further. And so sometimes it's about a belief. Sometimes they have some sort of energetic attachment that needs to be released. Um, sometimes we, we do a visualization. Um, sometimes it's a fear. Sometimes. So there's just, then I, when we come against that, that snag, then I, I wait and I listen for what's the solution that wants to come to resolve this most in, in an easeful way for this person. And then we just kind of go from there. And sometimes it involves talking, sometimes it involves visualizing, sometimes um, I just go into a, a deep space where I can access more of those healing forces and, and work within those healing courses. Um, so it really becomes a, a real creative expression between uh, the me and, and the person I'm working with and then any other spirits or energy streams that that want to come through and, and assist this person towards greater wholeness. And what type of concerns would people typically come to you for spirit walking for? Yeah, a lot of times I work with people who have left abusive relationships. Um, there can be a lot of toxic energy streams that someone's still holding on to. There can be a lot of really toxic beliefs that someone has has taken on during during that relationship and so for me what i'm really doing is i'm trying to synchronize with with that awesome authenticity that's within them and and that creative force in the spirit and and allow that to reshape so that they can live in a life that has more freedom and health 
So um, there's, what else? Sometimes people come when they feel like something, like they're really just missing something. Uh, and a lot of times that's a part of themselves that's not able to express fully because it's stuck in a regressed state. And so we might talk with younger aspects of ourselves and allow that, you know, their concerns to come through um, or build a relationship between the older adult and this younger self. Um, sometimes people have really big shifts coming in their life, like moving or um, commitment to relationships. Um, someone is transitioning beyond the veil and, and they need help to, to feel less fear around that. And so we'll work with, with beliefs around that and, and help them find a place of balance with that experience. How, how does the, the body work that you do pair with the, with the spirit walking work that you do? Are they separate? Do you tend to do them together? How, how, does, how do they interplay? I really view the body as just different levels of density. And so for me, everything is always interconnected. I can do a massage and, and see how we're freeing up energy moving through the body but that doesn't mean that i'm going to use the energy as the fulcrum for the the healing of the session um so the biodynamic the the biodynamic work is really sort of this this almost in-between state of like the spirit walking and the massage work where there are spiritual forces involved but there's also a lot of physicality involved um and i move through a lot of the the states of embodiment with with that work. So there's just a really deep interconnectedness for me between these different modalities where I can move through them really easily in a session and just, you know, I could be doing massage and then be like, oh, there's some sort of energy stuck here for some reason. And Sometimes we talk about it. And sometimes if that's really not the person's thing, I'm just going to move forward. And, you know, it's not, if that's not worse, what someone wants to look at, then we're not going to go there. Really healing is, is about meeting someone exactly where they are and helping them come to the next step. And I don't want to challenge someone's fundamental beliefs in, in a session. Yeah. I think that that, um, that's also about like holding that container for people that they can feel safe and that they can be present and not be, not be led in a place that they don't feel comfortable. And sometimes that means not talking about different levels of embodiment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've had some of that with, with your practice of people, you know, I, I de have definitely heard of, you know, energy work being, you know, the devil's work. And so, you know, I'm not going to go there for someone if that's, if that's going to be an assault on, on who they are. Yeah. I think that um, it's, it's interesting because I, I tend to get um, a lot of folks who are very deeply intuitive and that are, are returning back to their intuition after being told that it's not okay for most <laughs> of their lives who were born into something very, very open and free. And then we're continually closed off to it. So for my, my work, it's always about like, 
you know, like let's strip back these layers and, you know, pulling all that stuff back. So that's, that's really interesting that you're you kind of working yeah. a different, um, different aspect around that. I think there's like often when you give someone permission to go into that, it's such a relief for them. 100%. To be, there's yeah. so much, I feel like I do a lot of validation for people. Um, you know, especially Western medicine doesn't like to believe people when they're saying they have a pain if they don't understand it. So a lot of people come to me and I'm, and they're like, I have this pain. And I'm like, I believe you. And that's such a relief for them. Sometimes it's the first time that someone's believed them. For me, I, I, you know, why does it matter if it's in the mind or in the body or in the spirit? Like, we're going to work with it. We're going to, we're going to do whatever we can to resolve that, that issue for them. I'm not, I would never not believe someone in their suffering. Right. That's not our job. No. Our job is not to question. No. So uh, I know that you you are uh, you kind of got into massage therapy, um, even though that's not the the bulk of the work that you do now. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what what drew you into massage therapy, like way way early on? Yeah. Um, so back when I was was eighteen, and I was having the, working with the, the practitioner, the, the craniosacral therapist, um, I just came to this point where I realized that if if I did survive and I did heal that this was the work I was supposed to do with my life and so for me massage was actually always a stepping stone to become a craniosacral therapist um, I loved it a lot more than I thought I would and I really needed the years in between getting my craniosacral certification and and the beginning of my career to keep healing myself and to keep embodying a lot of craniosacral therapy is about creating a neutral that your client can synchronize off of. So in a way, whenever I do my own healing work, it helps my, my clients heal because I'm creating a, a more clear midline for them to synchronize off of. Do you, do you currently get um, craniosacral from other people? Yes. Yep. I still receive a lot of body work. Um, it feels really important, you know, because I have a disability, uh, creating a sustainable life is really important so that I can show up in my work fully and so that I can also enjoy my life fully. And so definitely receiving body work is uh, an important part of of maintaining my own health. And what other what other types of um, of fun things have you learned along the way as part of your healing? Because I, I know, especially if you've been doing this work for 10 or 12 years, that uh, you've probably done all kinds of cool trainings. Um, what other what other stuff have you do you have in your tool bag? Um, I have studied Reiki. Uh, I've studied um, oncology massage i've studied a lot of things within the massage realm like uh you know like hot stones and but a lot of those those smaller things have while they've informed my practice they aren't something i want to lead with and i really want to focus just on um you know on those three main modalities i feel like it gives me such a, a wide breadth 
uh, tools to work with people. And so, um, you know, I've done a lot of reading on my own. I've done a lot of trainings. Like those are the ones that have really stuck and, and that I would, that I focus on. And whenever I go to a training, I'm like, how does this inform the practices that I have now? It's really easy to get very cluttered in, um, in, in what we can offer, but I really want to maintain a certain potency with what I'm offering and not just say I'm offering these 12 modalities. Absolutely. And so we've talked a lot about your, um, your kind of like, you know, healing theories behind the work and, um, and some of the work itself. Uh, what is, what does the, your office look like? Can you tell us about what people, if they walked in your door, uh, what, what that would look like? I mean, it's really simple. I mean, I just have, I have a desk and I have my, my hydraulic, uh, massage table and I have some, you know, some sheet storage and, um, some chairs and, but I have like, you know, toys for kids. If someone's coming in with, with children, um, I have lots of plants. I love plants. So that's really important. I have lots of light in my office. Um, and, and yeah. where, where are you located? So I'm in Greenfield, Massachusetts. Awesome. That's really, mm-hmm. I, I love the healing arts in, in Greenfield. I think there's, there's a lot of little nooks and crannies and uh, really kind of fun things to explore. Yeah, there's some really great, great things emerging from Greenfield. And when I was sort of deciding where to settle my practice, I felt like, you know, I really want to be on the forces that are emerging in Greenfield. Um, there's a lot of permaculture folks out this way and um, just a lot of people who care a lot about the community. And so I, I really wanted to be a part of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I love the um, I love the uh, People's Medicine Project gardens are up there, too. And um, yeah, there's there's some really definitely some rad folks up there. Um, so Artemis, can you um, can you tell us a little bit about? Um, well, I guess like, you know, well, how can people find you if people are, are curious and want to know more about um, your work and what you do? Where's the best place that people can can find you? Yeah, the best place is to just go to my website, uh, which is arisingembodiment.com, and you can reach out to me there. I have a mailing list. Sometimes I send helpful videos out, um, business updates and whatnot, So, um, but you can always reach out to me there, read more about my work there and my healing journey. I have a, a bit there that you can read about. And... Um do you do you have any kind of words of wisdom that you want to throw out into the universe if if you had you know one or two things that you felt like are, are super important that you feel like people really need to hear yeah i think i would say not to give up on on your healing journey um i i have a lot of people who come in who i'm the last resort or they've already given up and there's so many different modalities out there and there's so many different ways of viewing health in the body. And so I would say, you know, never, never collapse into this hopelessness around, around illness um, because there some really miraculous things can happen if we are in the right circumstances. How, how do we find ourselves in the right circumstances? How, how do we really, how do we find those synchronicities and those clues to, to find the right practitioners and the right people to, to help us along our path? Like, 
you know, I think that in that space of hopelessness, sometimes it feels like our options are really limited um, and that our, our world is, is much smaller. Um, so do you have any advice for how to get people into that, a different headspace? I think that uh, asking questions is, is really helpful. Um, ask people questions, ask yourself questions, and really stop and settle in and listen to your own inner wisdom around and ask the question like, what is the next step of healing? I think it's really easy to think I want to be here. You know, I want to be like 12 miles from where I'm at and get really hyper-focused on that distant thing that feels totally unattainable. And that really causes us to collapse. But for me, you know, I've had to overcome a lot. And what's really helped me is to just stay really focused and present in the current moment and in my current state of health and ask, what can I do in this next minute? And what can I do in this next day? And what can I do in this next week to help myself come into better health? And what questions do I need to ask to move forward? I think that that's um, curiosity is a, a very high vibrational form of, of healing energy. So I, I think I love that. Just keep asking questions. Um, so, uh, and you know, one other thing that I am really curious about is, um, you know, when somebody comes in for a, a craniosacral, uh, biodynamic craniosacral therapy session, um, what what does that look like when somebody comes in to your office in Greenfield? Um, what what can they expect as as you're kind of opening your office hours again and starting to see clients? Um, what is what does a session look like? Yeah, so uh, usually in advance we've talked a little bit about what they're coming in for, and I just kind of do that to help know if there's any obvious contraindications, which means uh, you know a condition where I could cause harm and my work wouldn't be appropriate. So um, I was do a brief, brief conversation in, be, in the beginning. They come in and we do a fuller intake. I have some intake forms that they fill out and we have a conversation, a really in-depth conversation about their health. And we sort of choose like, okay, so what feels supportive? Is it going to be a little bit of hands-on massage work with cranio? Is it just going to be cranio? Then they, um, if they were, if we we're doing just cranio, they just, they lay on the table. They get to stay fully closed. They remove their shoes. And often I start at someone's feet if that's appropriate for them. Some people really don't like their feet being touched, so I can start other places. Um, but starting at the feet really gives me this great overview, and it's often a very safe way to enter into a deeper state on the periphery. So it's not so intense at, you know, at our core. So I often just start at someone's feet and then I put myself into what's called a practitioner's neutral. And that's not a state of passivity. It's more of a state of receptivity. So I'm beginning to listen to the, the forces that are coming in, the forces that bring health, the forces that sort of animate this, this, this mineral body um, on a constant cycle. And as I come into my own neutrality, I then place my hands on my patient and that allows them to come into a receptive neutral state. So it's really a state where they open up to, where, where they become receptive to being healed, to being moved by, by 
this greater intelligence and this force that's really beyond us and beyond our nervous system. Um, so they really settle into a neutral. And then after we settle past a lot of this superficial buzzing, we start to feel these really deeper rhythms that are within the body. And we start to hear where the body wants to, to be worked with. <clears throat> so it's really easy for us to follow symptoms, but actually what I'm trying to do is follow the health within someone's body and allow that health to reestablish itself and for it to expand and for it to reorganize the body rather than me saying, oh, well, this muscle's tight, so I'm gonna work here, here, and here, and that's gonna fix the issue. Sometimes someone is having pain in their pelvis, but actually it's because their temporal bones are out of alignment. And I wouldn't necessarily know that if I hadn't stopped and really settled into these deeper rhythms and listened and allowed the body to express and speak for itself. And do you find, I mean, you, you mentioned a moment ago that there's a difference between passivity and receptivity. What, what's the difference between the two? I think one is a deep listening. Um, receptivity is, is a willingness to be moved by, to let go, to surrender our ego into to something much bigger than us. And passivity doesn't really involve that, that, that greater step it's a it's a place of not caring or not doing um there's a greater potency in in being receptive can you can you tell the difference if you have a client coming in who is more passive versus receptive i don't think it's my client's job to to have to distinguish between those states it's my job as the practitioner to model um, model this neutrality and model this receptiveness and being able to bring someone into that neutral state can be deeply healing. And it's actually not because of how quick our world has become, how fast paced and how our nervous systems get so uh, riled up and they're moving so quickly. Neutrality isn't actually something that's attainable by every person who comes in. So the first step is always helping someone in a treatment plan is really always helping someone be able to access a neutral state. Do you ever feel like it's, it's hard to access your own state of receptivity or neutrality? Living yes. in a busy world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yes. Uh, but so that's why for me, um, self-care is so important and making sure, you know, it's a, it's a lifestyle to, to commit to this work. I can't just, you know, drink alcohol the night before and expect it's not going to affect my work the next day. Um, you know, so I have to make really good choices around, around my, what I'm doing with, with my experience, with my, with my world, what I'm, what I'm consuming, uh, even consuming media. So like what I'm watching can affect my work later on. Um, so for me, it's, I'm always thinking about how I'm regulating my nervous system and how that's going to affect my work. Yeah, it is. I feel like the, the healing arts is a lifestyle for sure. It really is. Yeah. And it can be really hard when, uh, especially during times like this, where there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of, of tension, um, 
So, you know, I just, I try to, to go into that and then come out of that, you know, to go into the, recognize that there's a lot of tension and then come back to my center. And I have a lot of uh, meditations, cranial sacral meditations uh, that really help me come back into that neutral state. So that's also a practice, you know, it's a continuing practice of, of neutrality and being able to always access that. Absolutely. And so Artemis, um, give people a shout out. We're kind of coming to the uh, top of the hour. So uh, can you let people know again how they can find you and um, and anything else that they may want to uh, reach out to you in regards to? Yeah. Um, so you can reach me at my website, which is arisingembodiment.com. And um, yeah, you know, I'm just... If I can't, if someone reaches out to me and I don't feel like I have the resources to help them, I'm happy to see if I have a referral that might that might help them. So, um, yeah. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing about who you are and, and, and what you do and what you're passionate about. Um, and, you know, if anyone is, is tuning in towards the end of the show and they want to catch the rest of the show um, you can always go on to in about a week I post uh, the archived episodes of Energy Matters so you can go on to reikinorthampton.com backslash radio dash archives um, or if you're a podcast listener you can always go on to anywhere you download your favorite podcasts you can go on to the Energy Matters podcast and that is always up um, on Friday so you can catch the rest of this episode with Artemis Luna Muse and um, and again, thank you so much, Artemis, for being here, making time for us. Um, and we are going to, you can stay on the line and um, we're going to close out uh, with Dance to This uh, featuring Ariana Grande by Troya Sivan. So have a great weekend, everyone, and be well. <laughs>